Hello and welcome to the Center for Rural Health Research Podcast. I'm your host, Nicholas Lutkusik. Today we bring you episode number one of our new podcast series, Innovation from the Edges, where we'll be exploring the resilience and ingenuity of rural and remote communities across BC in the face of the global COVID-19 pandemic. Today we're joined by Christine Perrin of Quadra Island, the organizer of the Quadra Island Caremongering Group on Facebook. For those of you who might not know, caremongering is a word that was coined a couple of months ago by a community group in Toronto aiming to connect people who might need help with those who are able to give it. Now, caremongering, of course, is a clever wordplay reversal of scaremongering, and as a concept, it's spread across the country and the world, actually. It's even received international media coverage in BBC News and The Washington Post and others for its success. Christine, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm really glad we could find time to connect. I'm, I'm wondering if we could just kind of start off by you telling me a little bit about Quadra Island for those of us who maybe haven't been. Sure. And ordinarily, I'd say everybody should come here. Of course, <laughs> but of course. Not right now. And yeah. thank you for having me on, by the way. Our pleasure. For episode number one. So, Quadra Island, uh, for those of you who don't know, we're on the east coast of Vancouver Island. We are the largest geographically and the most populated of the Discovery Island groups. Uh, that's not saying much. We only have about 2,700 year-round residents here. Um, we're, uh, you know, we're a, we're a big island with a small population. We're remote, but we're close to Campbell River. We have a, it, it's an interesting combination. We have a diverse population, a very independent population. We also have a very large seniors demographic. Mm-hmm here as well. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd say a lot of free spirits, very artsy, <laughs> a lot of, lot of gardeners such as myself, and, and a lot of people who are comfortable sort of living off the grid and doing things their own way. And sometimes off the grid is on a sailboat <laughs> yeah. in the harbor. Yeah. Uh, one of our directors was just actually um, on a bit of a, a fishing trip to kind of stock up. They were doing a whole bunch of prawn fishing. And and I only wish I had access to a boat like that because that would be amazing. Better than the grocery store at these times. Um, and so, I mean, you've, you've been kind of telling me a bit about um, Quadra Island uh, as well, kind of before we started uh, recording. But ha- have you sensed that the feeling on Quadra Island has, has changed at all or since kind of the COVID-19 pandemic you know, became more significant in the, in the forefront of people's minds. And so how are, how are people kind of responding and coping to, to what's going on? Actually, I'm, I'm so impressed with the response here on the island. And I don't know, I think it's the combination of this has always been a very grassroots oriented place. So we already had a lot of volunteerism mm. and, you know, do-it-yourself sort of spirit, uh, then combined with the fact that because we are smaller and we are vulnerable, we don't have a hospital here. We have two medical clinics. We have only one doctor that lives on the island. We have a handful of nurses and we have a couple of other doctors that travel here. And like I said, we have a large senior demographic. So that falls into the at-risk. So I think people instinctively realized we were vulnerable and then, like the rest of BC, we had good 
calm, solid leadership from Dr. Bonnie Henry and Adrian Dix. So I think that transferred into a sense of calm and resolution on the island. So everybody, almost everybody, almost everybody responded really quickly, got really serious about it and uh, wanted to help. Like that was, that was the first responses I saw was everybody on different Facebook groups saying, what can I do? How can I help? So it's been a, an amazing experience and the community has been very supportive. Yeah. And that really kind of underlines a lot of the things we've been hearing from our our rural partners and, and people we know from the work that we do is, you know, that sense of community in, in some smaller communities and rural communities um, is so powerful in, in times of, you know, in times of celebration and in times of struggle. Um, and uh, it's, it's heartening to hear that, you know, all the different stories uh, of people who've, you know, you know, they're facing this uncertainty with resolve and community, um, which is really inspiring. Um, so, I mean, with all this kind of going on, you've mentioned a, a resilient community, a, to, a, a close-knit um, uh, kind of community. How did you end up becoming the organizer of this caremongering group? I mean, were you, were you involved in things previously, or was this something you heard about in the news and kind of decided, this is perfect? This was a complete accident, and it turned into something <laughs> I didn't know it was going to be. So, for starters, uh, you know, like you talked about, there was that. Atmosphere of fear that was building mm-hmm. when this was all unrolling, and I spend a lot of time on social media. I'm an independent author, uh, so I spend a lot of time on there networking. And shockingly, social media can spark a lot of fear and anger and outrage. And mm. I, my response to that is, how can I combat that? And then I heard about this caremongering trend. And as I said, I'd noticed people on these various Facebook groups already saying, how can I help? How can I help? And I thought, oh, you know what? I could just pull all these people under one umbrella, create a COVID-19 specific Facebook group to help all these efforts come together. And I just started the site and I thought, okay, I'll just start the site. I'll administrate it and I'll just let everybody else do the the work. Mm. (laughs) That's that's not quite how it worked out. (laughs) But I was contacted very early on by the uh, Jeff Ballingal. He is the head of our emergency program here on the Mm. island. And he said, can we work together? Will you work with me and some other community groups? Mm. And I said, sure, absolutely. And since then, I've enmeshed myself with the other community organizations. So the Caremongering Facebook page is just one tiny arm, but it's a, an important source of information. So that's how that happened. Um, and now I, I work with, I, I'm in constant contact with about four different members of the emergency services program. Mm. Uh, So we have a health liaison, that's Betty Doak. She was a nurse and she works with Quadra Island Health. And then we have Judy Hagen. She liaisons with the first responders and the other community organizations. And she was a member of the fire department and she works with the RCMP for their speed watch. And then we had Betsy Young who heads up our neighborhood support. So she worked with the Neighborhood Emergency Preparedness Program. So we've got this nice little behind the scenes teams. And then we work with other organizations as well. 
So we've become this this interesting little pandemic response team. <laughs> that is so fascinating. That would actually be a really incredible topic for like some kind of case study review because it's almost like this organic governance just sprouted up out of out of uh, you know, not out of thin air. I mean, all these things existed before, but you know, everyone um, you know saw the need and was nimble enough to to be able to kind of interlock and, and band together, which is really cool. Um, and so, you know, as you described, um, it's kind of grown into this, this different new thing. Did you find it was, it kind of took on a life of its own quite quickly or were you like, you know, posting, you know, messaging all your friends and family about it or posting things at the grocery store? Like how, how did you kind of get the word out or how did it, how did it take shape? So the Facebook group, I, I invited a few people I knew to it. Um, I'm pretty new on Quadra as small towns go. I've mm. only been here since 2016. So that's very mm. new by small town standards. So I don't know a lot of people, but the island is really interconnected. So if you know a couple of well-connected people in the community, that's all it takes. Mm -hmm. And that's really the strength of this group and of the island is that, you know, if you know somebody who knows somebody, shoom, it's like wildfire. So I think in a few weeks we had 400 people signed up and we're creeping up on 500 now. Yeah, I saw today. What's the total population of Quadra again, you said? It's 2,700. Yeah, that's a very significant <laughs> percentage of the population. That's pretty incredible. It is. It And uh, and so, yeah, it's it's it grew organically as a lot of things on small communities do. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, how you mentioned it's kind of one piece of, of the response and what you're doing now, but how are people using this group? I know that, uh, you know, I'm assuming there will be, you know, requests for people to pick up groceries and things like that. Um, but how have you observed this group connecting helpers with helpies, I, I guess? And if there are any like particularly common trends that you've seen or? Well, the grocery one is a big one because, of course, we do have our grocery stores here. We have two small stores here, but for bigger things, you have to go to Campbell River, Costco. And so, you know, someone will post, I'm going to town. Anybody need anything? It's mm -hmm. very, you know, low-key neighborly. Uh, but also, you know, very early on, we talked about the need for, you know, folks like seniors or immunocompromised people or people who just couldn't get around very well. How are we going to make sure that they get their food, get their medication, get their mail. Um, and so it just kind of, again, organically, we put together this delivery driver system and it's mm -hmm. now headed up by Chris Wellstein. And so she vets the drivers and makes sure that they adhere to safety protocols. So the drivers don't touch anything. Mm -hmm. The people, people call in their orders to the store, the drivers pull up. The employees put the bags in the back of a truck or a trailer so there's no contact and they drop it off. So it's this incredibly safe delivery system. Wow. Um, you can also pick up prescriptions from the drugstore, that sort of thing. So that's very common. And mm -hmm. also just a sharing of information, you know, for local businesses, we've changed our hours or here's our new protocols, right. that sort of thing. It's a way of just getting the information out there you know, for some, you know, for me, it's a five minute drive to pick up groceries and mail for other people. It's half an hour, yeah, 45 sure. minutes. Mm -hmm. Is so, there any, um, 
kind of uh, is there any particular area that you see as a gap in what you've observed and a place where people, you know, persist persistently ask for help where no one's either able or I don't know, there seems to be too much demand or not enough supply of help. If anything, we have more volunteers than we need. That's amazing. Uh, that is amazing. I know. It's incredible. And, you know, part of that is because we've observed good social distancing. Mm -hmm. So we, mm -hmm. we don't have any uh, that we know of. We don't have any outbreaks right. on the islands. So there's no emergencies. But the gap comes in with folks who are not online or not on Facebook. And so... That was what we struggled with, our little behind-the-scenes team, mm -hmm. is how do we reach the folks? And, and particularly, like I said, there's some independent spirits that live sure. far off the grid, and we want to make sure that they're being looked after. So we came up with some plans for that. But that's, that's the gap, absolutely. How do you reach people who are not online? What, what are your thoughts on that? How, how, how a group might do that? Oh, so we... we we tried a couple of things, and I think we've been relatively successful. So uh, right off the bat, we started a neighborhood buddy program mm. where uh, we printed out some pamphlets that just say, hi, my name is, I live in your neighborhood at, uh, I'm willing to help you with the following things, and here's my phone number, you can contact me. Do you want me to just call you once a week and check in on you? So we did that program, and this was early on before we really started clamping down on the distancing so people could deliver those to their neighbors mm -hmm. wherever they lived. So that was one method that we used. Uh, we also hooked up early with the Nanaimo Beacon Buddies program. Yeah, I Again, heard of them. Had, yeah, you, you have to be online for that one, but mm -hmm. you know people could assist other people with that. Um, and then just using word of mouth through the different community organizations like the food bank. Mm -hmm. So we would put, you know, some information in the food bank packages on food bank days and the seniors group, Quadra Circle, the community center, just really a, a good word of mouth. So I think it's worked pretty well. But it, it is challenging because we just don't know and we can't go out and talk to people. Yeah, exactly. What do you do if you can't go door to door? How do you reach people that are hard to reach? Yeah, exactly. That's, a, that's, a, that's a quite a nasty problem, I guess. I mean, there's always that persistent problem of how to reach the hard to reach people. Um, and what a neat wrinkle. You can't even physically <laughs> approach people anymore. Um, I know. But you've, it sounds like you've done a, a pretty, a pretty you know, thorough uh, thought exercise. Um, and I'm glad to hear you seem to be kind of getting through. Um, kind of, I guess, building on that a little bit, what kind of you know, based on your experiences, um, what kind of advice might you offer someone who is looking to, you know, either start a new kind of community care hub like you have, or uh, maybe just they're already running one and they're running into some of the same problems that maybe you have? Right. So, I, I mean, I think my biggest piece of advice, advice would be partner. Um, mm -hmm. Teamwork is, is key. I couldn't be doing what I'm doing without all the different members of the other community, the official <laughs> pandemic response organizations. I couldn't uh, have the, the good, timely information that I'm able to provide to everybody. Mm. Uh, so yeah, the first, definitely partnership. And then 
specifically for the Facebook group, I think right now it's important to have something that's really COVID-19 focused and focused on your particular area and absolutely be kind and inclusive to everybody, but also don't be afraid to administrate strictly (laughs) things keep things focused like I said I've spent a lot of time on social media and conversations can go off the rails very quickly and particularly among populations where everybody knows each other really well Mm -hmm. and devolve into conversation you really you know you can shut down commenting or you can limit the types of posts that can go up so just keep it focused on resources and information and that sort of thing and yeah, and just, just go with your strengths. If you have people that are already good at something, reach out to them, say, hey, would you mind taking this on? And, and I think 90% of people would be happy to. Everybody wants to help right now. So, Thank you so much. That's amazing insight. Um, you know, I'm, I'm moved and motivated. <laughs> um, so I, I actually have, I have one final question for you. And I feel like you almost indirectly answered it throughout kind of our whole conversation. But, you know, it's been easy for people to kind of feel vulnerable and frustrated, um, vulnerable physically uh, or, you know, due to isolation and things like that. And frustrated because you, know, you can't work as well. You can't see friends. You can't do all the things you normally do, um, given our current situation. Is there something that gives you hope in all this? Oh, gosh. Well, yes, my community, obviously, that has given me hope. But I think in the larger context, I mean, humans are incredibly adaptive. And all you have to do is look through history and see the things that we've gone through. And we, we come out the other end, and I'm hopeful that we'll come out of this better people. I think people are starting to see uh, maybe not as much in Canada, maybe a little further south, but are starting to see some of the systemic inequality that exists out there and some people who perhaps didn't think they'd ever be in a position where they needed social safety nets are now here and are realizing how vital that is so maybe once this is all over we'll push a little harder to strengthen those social safety nets and to to look after each other and that seems like the perfect note to end up today's uh, episode. Uh, Christine, thank you so much again for, for joining us um, thank and you, taking Nick. the time to share your experience. Um, for our listeners out there, you can find this recording and future episodes on the Center for Rural Health Research website at crhr.med.ubc.ca. It's a bit of a long one. It's crhr.med.ubc.ca. Or you can just do it the way I do everything, which is type crhrubc into Google and it'll come up. So you can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify if you search for CRHR or Center for Rural Health Research. And lastly, thanks for listening and stay safe.